This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is Ringgit and Sense. They say money can't buy love, but it can actually break up a relationship especially if it becomes a taboo topic between a couple. So today we take a very practical approach to money in a relationship by taking a legal lens so that you can ensure that you start on the right foot and know your rights. We speak to Siu Junjun, a family lawyer from the firm Douglas Yee Advocates and Solicitors. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So I want to start before marriage. Understanding of how to protect one's estate or assets before signing on that dotted line. So is it fair to assume that what I have in my bank account, the property I own, and even the gifts or inheritance given to me, let's say by my parents, like a house or anything of value, is mine, and that my future spouse has no claim over it? Okay, a very direct answer is yes, you are right. However, there's some um, situation where after the marriage, if the other party have expanded or contributed to the increase of the value of the property by improving the property, then that property, even though it's acquired before marriage or even though it's a gift or inheritance, Mm. it is still subject to division because he has put in effort after the marriage to improve the value of the property. So that is the part where the property can be subject to division. But everything else in terms of cash in my account, no. jewellery, he has no claim over no that. No claim over it. So what about prenuptial agreements? We hear a lot about this, especially in US. It yes. seems to be common. Is it legally binding in Malaysia? And what is a prenup in the first place? Okay, prenuptial agreement normally is to set out the terms of divorce, basically, especially in division of property. So in the event of divorce, how the properties, whether you acquire before or after or during marriage, ought to be divided. Unfortunately, Malaysia does not recognise prenuptial agreement. It is persuasive, but not binding. In other words, you can, in the event of divorce, you can show the court this is the prenup agreement we have. Court are not bound to give effect to those terms. However, it can be persuasive. Mm. Mm. Okay, so, so you have had cases before you where you've shown the judge the prenup. Yes, yes, of course. And how not, much do they take into consideration? Then? It depends on the situation, actually. Parties are still at liberty to to argue about contributions. You can still argue about why the other side is not entitled to the to the um, property as per the terms of the prenup. Eventually, it's the court discretion. I would say prenup agreement become more popular nowadays, even though it's not binding, because the court do look at it and see, okay, uh, I will try to give effect, although it's not binding. Is the process to get a prenup done very complicated? Not at all. You just need to decide among yourself, both parties, how you want the terms to be. I think generally, the few prenups that I have done, normally they just say your property is your property, my property is mine in the event of divorce. If we want it to be shared, we will put in joint names. So that will become very clear. Later we'll talk about, because if you go to go into a divorce, even though a property is registered solely in one person's name, it can still be subjected to division. Hence the prenup agreement to set it out. Clearly, yours okay. is yours, mine is mine. So I suppose it's very important in the first place before marriage to have a discussion on money and assets so that everyone is clear in terms of what they're bringing into the marriage. <laughs> yes, but as you can, as you know, I said prenuptial agreement is not binding. Yeah. So they can talk as much as they want about properties, how they want to divide. Eventually, when it comes to divorce, surely one party will 
will become bitter or both parties become bitter and they become messy. Mm. You know, one party will say, no, I'm not I'm not recognising this prenup agreement. Then both parties will still have to uh, fight it out in court. But my advice is that to have one is better than don't have one because at least it's persuasive. At least the court has a guidelines to look at look at what has been agreed. So if you have you have to come to court and convince the court why at the time I am agreeable, I was agreeable to those terms, but now I don't. So okay, let's say you know this couple happily get married and children come into the mix, and along the way there's an accumulation of assets, which is quite typical. Yes. You buy a, a home, maybe another. This is during marriage. After, during marriage, uh, after they got married, right? yeah. So okay. you acquire another house. You perhaps buy a car together. Those are all assets of value, right? How do you then decide who owns these assets? So on paper, if I buy the house in joint name, maybe that's clear. Let's say it's only in one person's name. I see. I Is see. that considered matrimonial assets or not? I mean, how does a, how does a court okay. decide? My view is that matrimonial assets only come into play when there's a divorce. So even though after parties have married and they acquire um, properties either uh, in joint names or sole name, mm. there will be two situations. A situation where there's no divorce, there are no impending divorce, no divorce proceeding. In those cases, the court, or not the court, I mean in public or generally, the ownership of the property still lies with the registered owner. So if you have put a property in your sole name, outsiders, everyone, legally, you are the only owner of, of it. Matter become more complicated when there's a divorce proceeding. So when there's a divorce proceeding, regardless whether you bought, you acquired the property in the sole name, or join names, or even join in with children, mm. as long as it's acquired during the marriage, it becomes part of the matrimonial assets subject to division. And are there other assets that qualify as this? Would a car qualify? Let's see. And I saw a case in Singapore where very expensive... Ang pao. <laughs> yes. Uh, a, expensive uh, handbags, jewellery, are they all considered matrimonial yes. assets? Matrimonial assets basically involve immovable properties, cash, investment, shares, Jewelries, uh, yeah, all these are also matrimonial assets. And the immovable properties, which is land, factory, the most common one is matrimonial home where both mm. parties stay in. These are all immovable pro- properties. So matrimonial assets in, in, in include both. I would suppose when it comes to prenup then also, you might have signed one before marriage and then you have a list of assets. But like we say, during marriage, you add assets. Do you then revisit or update a prenup even though it's not legally enforceable? <laughs> yeah. Actually, prenups agreement, if a good structure of a prenups agreement will also include property in future. It's just like will. We don't update our will each time we bought a property. No, we don't. Yeah. So yeah. there will be a catch-all clause in the will how you want to divide whatever is not in there mm. in future. So, prenup agreement, actually, if it is properly drafted, it will include property that acquired after marriage as well, how it should be divided. Yeah, of course, if... But it won't have specifics, right? It won't yes. refer to this property on this road. It will just say yes, future essence. If, if a good uh, prenup agreement will actually describe the properties, let's say any immovable properties that we bought, in joint names, we agree to be 50-50. Any movable properties belongs to you as long as it's under your name. You know, it will describe the property so it will become very certain when it comes to divorce. You look at the terms, you roughly know what properties fell under which category. I'm just curious, does prenup also, can it cons- does it consider children? 
Mm, actually, yes, this is custody. a very good question. Okay, parties based in a prenup agreement, parties actually can put in anything under the sky in the event of divorce. What can happen? What should happen? You know, they can say, I want to appoint my auntie to be the, the custodian instead of the father, things like that. Mm. They can put everything under the sky. But to me, the more persuasive one will be the terms regarding the division of properties, not regarding the children. Eventually, the court must still look at what is in the best interest of the children in the event of divorce. Should it be following the father or the mother or the in-laws? The court will still look at the um, interest of the child and make decisions. So I would say the terms regarding children in prenup agreement carries very, very little weight. And going back to matrimonial assets, right, which are acquired, let's just say, hypothetically, I'm a housewife sure. and my husband is the main breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we buy a terrace house in Tamandun, near yep. my office, near yep. this Manara Kent. But I didn't really contribute to the down payment, neither did I service the loans, but I perhaps contributed to the renovation. Sure. And I kept the house in a particular order. How do courts decide that? Yes, this is part of matrimonial assets, but what's my contribution per se or my share? Sure. How is that decided? Don't worry. The <laughs> law actually protects you, or protects a housewife like you. Actually, the when we talk about contributions under our Law Reform Act, Section 76, where the court have to look at all the various factors in Section 76 before deciding what is the ratio mm. of the division, the court look at financial and non-financial contributions. Financial contributions, just like what you said, if the husband is the only breadwinner, the wife basically won't have any financial contribution at all. Yes. That, but that doesn't mean the whole property will be given to the husband because the court also look at the non-financial part of it, which is caring for the family, how you help your husband to excel in the business or in the career. You know, let's say every night you cook, when your husband come back, he's very happy and the family is all in order, the house is properly you know, it's tied up. assign a monetary value to that though? Yes, so the court will not assign a monetary value, but the court will give a ratio. If you are, um, you can show that you have been taking care of the house for the last maybe 20 or 30 years of the of, of the marriage, even before your husband become very successful all the way until now, very likely if all other things are equal, the court will actually give a 50-50. Because under Section 76 of the Law Reform Act, if all factors are equal, the court will actually incline to give equal share for both parties. So don't worry if you do not have a financial contribution. <laughs> Just make sure you contribute in a non-financial sense. Take care of the children. On Ringgit and Sense today, we're discussing money in a relationship, both when things go smoothly and also when it doesn't. Helping us is Siu Chunjun, a family lawyer from the firm Douglas E. Advocates and Solicitors. After the break, the touchy subject of money in a divorce. Stay tuned for Ringgit and Sense, brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Ringgit and Sense, where we are discussing all things related to money in a relationship. Helping us is Siu Junjun, a family lawyer from the firm Douglas Yee Advocates and Solicitors. Before the break, how do you plan your finances before a marriage and also during? So now we come to the unhappy part, which is divorces, <laughs> right? Indeed. Yes. Maybe a little bit of a step back. I mean, what's the process for filing for a divorce in Malaysia and how much does it cost? Is it Can it be very expensive? Oh, that's a very tricky question, <laughs> especially on cost. Okay, divorce, basically in Malaysia, there are two types of divorce. One is a joint petition, which means parties have to agree on all the terms. What is the arrangement for the children, maintenance? How are the division of properties ought to be? 
once parties have agreed on all the terms, you can file a joint petition, which mm. means um, yeah, both parties agree and file it in court. Another uh, type is single petition, which we also call it contested petition. <clears throat> Basically, if one party could not agree on any of the terms, let's say we can agree on the children's arrangement, but not the division of property, or sometimes even one party refused to grant a divorce, then you have to go for a contested or single petition. One party will have to initiate, the person who really wants the divorce will have to initiate the petition and allow the other side to come and contest and tell the court in the event of divorce, what are the more appropriate relief given? Mm. So two types. And I can briefly uh, tell you about the difference between these two. Joint petition, they will take a very, very short time because parties have agreed, you file in court, you basically can get a divorce order within a month or two. Yeah, but a contested petition is like all other civil cases or even criminal cases. Takes it will years? go through the process. Yes. I have cases that take that took more than five years. I have cases that took two years. It's a bit hopeful if you think you can get your divorce order within a year if it is a contested matter. But if it's joining petition, how soon can it be? A done? month or two, as I as I said, yeah. So Once could... you have filed in court, the court will just fix a date. Both parties go before the court. The judge asks, do you really agree to these terms? You say yes, granted. So I presume joint petition is, uh, in terms of cost, much cheaper because it requires less yes, less of your time thing. as a yes. lawyer, right? Yes, Versus exactly. Joint agreement, basically, we just use our our skill to draft the joint, joint petition, draft the terms, because it, it can easy to say, I'll, I'll give this property to my wife, mm. how it should be drafted, how it should be transferred, you know, who is going to pay the installment pending the transfer, all this, we use that skill only on that. But when it comes to contested petition, it's totally different skill, you need to go to court, you need to convince the court, you need to talk about evidence, the cost will be much, much higher. And I've even heard of cases where joint petition, you share a lawyer, is that the case? Yes. So yes. of course that will make it much cheaper. Even cheaper, yes. You can share a lawyer. Let's say it's acrimonious. Sure. How difficult or how challenging is it for the couple who is breaking up to sit down in a rational and objective manner to divide their assets and custody of children? Varies from couple to couple, you know, uh, sounding. Because I have seen couples that come in, or actually not come in. The, the classic one would be they went to court for the joint petition divorce. They were holding hands. I'm not kidding you. They were holding, holding hands. hands. Then when the court called them, they stood up and then they said, yes, they want the divorce. Mm. But I have seen I have seen couples that shouting to each other in court, uh, shouting bad words. Very I have seen that as well. So, yeah. so it's really very from case to case. I think there are a lot of other dispute resolution, alternative res dispute resolutions that are more suitable for, for couples that want to divorce. So what do you recommend then? There's, of course, you have you can have a pre-action mediation where you actually ask a trained mediator to come and mediate your 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 issues and then let parties agree on everything. Um, but there's one very new practice in Malaysia. They call it collaborative law. So collaborative law, I think, um, it's a parties can actually sit down with a collaborative trained lawyers before any court case to actually raise all their concerns and issues involved in the impending, um, in the impending divorce. Mm. And then parties sit down and agree on the terms or agree on the resolutions rather and to how to address those concerns. Because a lot of time uh, when we go to court, we are fighting. Nobody knows why are you fighting. Let's say, why you keep wanting the matrimonial home? The matrimonial is me and staying with the children. Why are you fighting? You are, you are a man, you have gone out and rented the place. 
we don't know. We are just keep fighting, you know. Mm. But in collaborative law, we sit down and we understand. So why? Why you want this house? Then you'll say, oh, this house actually, I have fond memories. My mom gave it to me. Okay. I do want it. Then the wife will Maybe understand, again, a, little understand a little bit. And what about then you get me a, another house of equal value? I'll give this house to you since it's sentimental value for you. So this process, collective process, is very, very How often does it take place though? Do most couples opt for this? Because some might just say, I don't want to. It is very new in Malaysia, but it's in Singapore and in America, Canada, they are actually very, very um, famous and a lot of people chose to go there. In Malaysia, I think we only have a couple of cases, but it's new, so we are trying to promote that as well. It might be cheaper, right, in the longer term? Definitely, definitely. Because in... uh, Collaborative practice, when it involves children, you can bring in child's expert. Not in the fight in court where you let the child to see an expert to say, I want to follow daddy, I don't follow mommy and, and submit that in court. No. In collaborative law, the child expert will come in to help the children going through the divorce. Because children can be very traumatized by divorce. For sure. Sometimes they are forced to choose a side. Even though not brainwashing, but... If they know father and mother are separated, they, they, they tend to choose a side. All this will affect them, their childhood, you know. So the child expert will come in and help them through this and will even help the couples to do co-parenting. Yeah, so that's very good current so, practice. The best way forward, right, perhaps. But I let- think so. Let's do everything amicable, as you say, you know. That's, we must always remember that fighting in court is not the only way to resolve your matrimonial disputes. Once we know that, we will start looking at alternatives. Okay, let's talk about alimony. You know, we hear about alimony paid to ex-wives, but is it applicable (laughs) to both sexes? Um, A simple answer is no, but in a certain limited situation, a wife can be ordered to pay maintenance to the husband. That is a situation where the husband is incapacitated or in a situation where the husband mentally or physically is not able to earn a living. It is unsure whether a house husband during the marriage can claim maintenance from the working wife. But I... You have heard of such cases. Yes, yes. At least I have not done one before. But I actually think, why not? It should be to if the new arrangement... Because now... There are also yeah, no arrangements. Yeah, exactly. right? So if the how is the husband during the marriage is house husband, I, I should think the court should grant award some maintenance to the husband too after the separation or after the divorce. And how does the how does the court decide on how much alimony should be paid? What are the considerations? Okay, the magic words will be needs and means. Basically the court will look at parties' needs. Okay, so you are working wife. So you don't need all 10000 from the husband. You actually can bear some of your expenses. Or the husband. This husband is earning a lot of money, 100000 a month. So this, hus- this wife is very reasonable, just asking for this certain amount and substantiated them. Then you should give. This is how the court look at the, the, mean, the mm. means. Means does not just the income every month. It includes how many properties you have, whether you can... Those properties are at your disposal to get funds to pay. Anything that generates an income. Yes. Then it comes to needs. Needs, there's an underlying principle there, which is standard of living during cohabitation. So if you, during the cohabitation, during the marriage, you are not a wife that always go for luxurious holidays. You didn't do a lot of expensive hairdo. You didn't go to spa every week. Then you can't put all these items as part of your maintenance to claim from your 
ex-husband. So the court will look at your needs, but it has to be in par with the standard of living you were having during the cohabitation. But it works the other way around too. Let's say this wife has always been having a this couple has always been having a luxurious life, expensive bags, and and and, and holidays, and holidays, and, fine you know, dining, fine dining, all these things. Then the husband cannot really later say, why do you need all this? Why can't you just eat home? Mm. Why do you need three mates? Why can't you just have one mate? The husband cannot say that. That standard of living must be maintained. So to put it simply is that a wife or a husband cannot take financial advantage from a divorce. Yeah, okay. that is the general principle. What about children then? The children is the same. Children's needs. So you have to look at the children's needs and 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 decide how to how much uh maintenance to be given. So for my for my experience, I normally put the one lump sum monthly maintenance mm. um, separate from education and medical. Because to me, um, or to most of uh, us lawyers who practice in family law will know, medical and education, they vary and they increase very fast. Yes. Every year or from primary school to secondary school to, to college to international school. And you're never school. really sure your kids are going to study yes. and, and what they are going to study exactly. either. Exactly. And medical too, you know, sometimes some sickness come and you spend a lot in one particular year, you know, things like that. So normally we will do a one lump sum payment, let's say every month 5000 That's for the day-to-day expenses of the ch- of the children. And then you, you said medical and education borne by husband and wife, 60-40 ratio, or born by husband in total. Parties can agree on that. If parties cannot agree, you just leave it to court. And Again. trust me, yeah, nobody is going to feel they win. Because the court, once decided, both parties will think it's a lose-lose situation, you know, because you don't want to give at all. Mm. And the other side want you to give all. So when the court say 50-50, none of you are yeah. happy, right? On this note, thank you for your time today. Today on The Ringgit and Sense was Siu Chun Jun, a family lawyer from the firm Douglas Yee and Advocates and Solicitors. I'm Wong Xiaoning, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia, your lifetime insurance and takaful partner. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.